Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. It's been a rough few days for Premier Doug Ford and his government. Ontario's Auditor General joins us to talk about her latest scathing report. You'll also hear from the host of a new show on CHML called For What It's Worth. December is here, but where is the wintry weather? Smart speaker makers are trying to monetize their gadgets and pack your patience this holiday travel season. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Unequivocally, we won't touch the green belt. Uh, unlike other governments that don't listen to people, I've heard it loud and clear. People don't want me touching the green belt. We won't touch the green belt. We'll figure out uh, how to clean up this housing mess and this housing crisis that we're facing in a different fashion. But all my friends, I listen to you. You don't want me touching the green belt. We won't touch the green belt. Yeah, that was four years ago. The tune has certainly changed nowadays, and so much so that there are claims that developers were tipped off about opening up the green belts. Ontario's new housing plan getting ripped by municipal leaders. We have this public sector wage gap law that has been ruled unconstitutional. It has not been a good couple of weeks for Premier Doug Ford and the PC government. So what now? What will happen? Including at this news conference later on this morning that Premier Ford is going to have with his Deputy Premier and Health Minister. Sabrina Nanji is the founder of the Queen's Park Observer and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Sabrina, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I feel like that Guns N' Roses intro was perfect for the situation at Queen's Park these days. (laughs) It is a jungle for sure. Let's start with this news conference. I haven't heard much about it. Any word on what could possibly be announced? Yeah, so later on this morning around 10, we're going to have Premier Doug Ford and uh, his Deputy Premier and Health Minister Sylvia Jones making an announcement in Toronto. Um, You're right, you know, um, my sources are keeping pretty quiet. It's still pretty early in the day. Um, But but my guess, I guess at this point, um, is that it it could be a funding announcement. You know, the PCs are just um, more or less fresh off their mini budget, the fall economic statement, which did not actually include more new money for hospitals um, or to deal with the you know current um, crisis that we're seeing in, in our healthcare staff staff, uh, but but they have kind of been on this um, you know reannouncement tour because they did you know uh, retable their budget after being elected in June, and so um, I think you know I'll be waiting for the the Q and A part with reporters because as you kind of laid out at the top, uh, you know Ford has a lot of explaining to do on on some other hot button issues around Queens Park these days. One of those is Bill One Twenty Four. It's been ruled unconstitutional by a court, what do you think, he's already said he's going to appeal, but what do you think the game plan is going to be from the Ford government? Well, you know, he'll certainly certainly be asked about that this morning. Um, don't expect much beyond the talking points that we've already heard, which is, you know, we're going to appeal this. Um, governments of all stripes love to say that because an issue is before the courts, they can't really address it. Uh, so so I don't think we're going to hear much detail from him. But certainly, you know, what we had heard um, during the, the actual, you know, court hearings um, at Superior Court, the lower court, uh, was that they did not see Bill 124 as unconstitutional. And we know now that, you know, a judge has said otherwise, that this uh, wage capping Bill 124, that a lot of nurses and, you know, healthcare professionals say has contributed to our current staffing crisis because it capped wages at at 1% for for wage increases, I should say, at 1% for three years. Um, And and that has obviously, you know, led to this mass exodus, which we actually heard our health minister, Sylvia Jones, kind of deny a little bit, which, you know, at least from the nurses I've been speaking to, uh, have said that that was very 
very hurtful uh, to hear because this is a factor to them. Um, and that is what we're hearing from from factors, you know, uh, from from experts on the ground, I should say. And so this, uh, you know, I think this was probably unexpected because when the, the built 124 was tabled, uh, you know, the Ford government was saying they were confident it would stand a, a char- withstand a charter challenge. Um, but a judge has now said that, you know, this has interfered with collective bargaining rights um, and th- those are protected by the charter. And so, you know, what happens next is is really going to be interesting because we're not sure, you know, uh, what or how much compensation, you know, retroactive pay that a lot of these public sector workers may be entitled to. Um, if that ruling will come before an appeal happens, uh, you know, this could be a long battle, but we have kind of seen, you know, at least in Ontario, uh, that, that charter rights are protected. And, and so it's interesting here because we kind of saw another angle of this where the Ford government brought out the notwithstanding clause when um, imposing a contract and kind of interfering, you know, as the courts say, with collective bargaining rights. So there's a couple of options. Uh, it's about to probably get a whole lot messier in the in the coming uh, weeks and months. I can imagine we have a couple more minutes with Sabrina Nanji, the founder of the Queen's Park Observer, and you're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Let's move over to the uh, new, now much maligned, I, I think, housing plan by this province. We know that uh, many municipal leaders have said, listen, this is, yeah, going to build more homes or could build more homes. There's no guarantee of that. Um, but it's going to cost us in terms of development charges, whether they're going to be deleted or waived uh, or reduced, uh, municipalities are going to feel the brunt of it. Added to that is allegations that developers linked to the Ford government were tipped off about these greenbelt lands being opened up. There's There's a lot of fires going on here. Yeah. And, you know, opposition critics are saying that this does not pass the smell test for them. Um, We had kind of heard at the outset, you know, Ford promise uh, behind the scenes, you know, that the the Greenbelt would be opened up. Uh, Once that got leaked to the public, there was a lot of backlash. You know, Ford promised he wouldn't touch it. And now here we are in something that is, you know, unequivocally a a flip flop. And so while this is a credibility issue for the Ford government, um, the opposition critics have kind of thrown gas on this fire by writing to the integrity commissioner um that's green leader mike schreiner the liberals say they're going to do the same thing and ask you know were developers tipped off that you know these lands would be opened up and very lucrative and they could you know potentially stand to to get a lot of money from this Uh, a lot of these folks just so happen to be conservative donors as well uh and while, you know, on the surface that that all seems OK, you know, there are rules about how much you can donate, who can donate, that type of thing. Um, obviously, you know, someone like the Integrity Commissioner or even the Auditor General um, who the NDP have asked to look into this, uh, they would have a lot more leeway than, say, you or I or a member of the public, you know, even filing a freedom of information request, which which, you know, journalists do, um, citizens can do. Uh, it's not the same access that someone like the ethics watchdog or the auditor general would have. And so while while those watchdogs have not said either way, if they'll look into this, all opposition parties are asking them to on behalf of Ontarians because they think that, you know, we deserve answers. And obviously, from my perspective as a reporter, uh, transparency, you know, trumps everything. And so I I am hoping, you know, for investigations um, to see what went on here. But 
on the surface of it, you know, these are, these are just kind of the rules. Um, and so that's why we kind of need to dig a little bit deeper to see if there was anything untoward happening. Obviously, you know, the housing minister, Steve Clark said that there was, you know, no heads up to developers. He said that in the house, uh, this week when questioned by the opposition in question period, and he said that he welcomes these investigations. Uh, so I think everyone's on board. Um, and I, and I hope, you know, we can kind of, uh, at least shine some light on this because it is raising a lot of questions. And from an optics perspective, I think, you know, transparency is probably the best answer for everybody. And for his part, Minister Clark denied the allegations of any connection. We'll certainly be following that. And Sabrina, you'll help us along in that regard. Appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Sabrina Nanji is the founder of the Queen's Park Observer. By the way, we'll have that news conference live for you later on this morning at 10. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We obtained 10 insurance quotes for a consumer with the same characteristics but different residential locations and found that their auto insurance cost ranged from $1,200 a year for an individual living in London, Ontario to $3,350 a year for somebody living in Brampton. That is the voice of Ontario Auditor General Bonnie Lissick, who found anomalies with auto insurance rates in this province and also had some choice words for how the provincial government rolled out the COVID-19 vaccine. And we welcome to Good Morning Hamilton, Bonnie Lissick, Ontario's Auditor General. Bonnie, good morning. How are you today? Uh, good morning. Thank you very much uh, for having me. I'm fine. Thank you. Yourself? I'm good. Let's start with the uh, auto insurance part of your report, which found that the average premium jumped 14% between 2017 and 2021, but you also uncovered a big difference on how much you pay depending on where you live. That's correct. Uh, between 2017 and 2021, there was a, a 14% increase on average with uh, private passenger auto insurance. Uh, we did uh, uh, sort of a look around to see what if you had the same car and you were the same person, but you lived in different areas of um, the GTHA or Ontario, what you would be paying. And so we did find when we did that exercise that if you lived in London, Ontario, you'd pay $1,200. If you lived in Brampton, you'd pay $3,350 being the same person, having the same you know profile and car. Uh, and so it, it would be it would be related to where you live that you pay different premiums. And not only that, Ontario apparently has the lowest rate of crashes that result in serious injury in Canada. Yet we pay the highest insurance rates. That is that is correct. Yeah. Wow! You also uncovered some major issues with the government's COVID nineteen vaccine rollout. What did you find? Um, a number of things. I think, you know, to be better prepared for the future, I think they still need to work on having an immunization registry that tracks the vaccination records of people so that that's available for use in, in both booking, so coordinated with the booking system, as well as keeping track of vaccinations, because that did impede sort of the roll the rollout uh, for COVID-19 vaccinations. Uh, we did find that Generally, there was a waste on the vaccines of about 9%. Generally, that's, that's not too bad when you compare across Canada. What we found is in the latter months, so this year, between, let's say, January and June, there was more of a wastage, and that was from, you know, uh, perhaps not estimating what the pickup would be. And so we saw uh, the private sector firms of FH Health and Switch Health had quite high wastage, and... Uh, and overall, the pharmacies got more stock because they're dispersed and uh, there wasn't as much pickup of vaccines. 
uh, we saw a bit more wastage of the of the vaccine in, in the early part of this year. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Bonnie Lissick, the Ontario Auditor General, going through some of the highlights of her latest report. Uh, you also found uneven compensation when it came to healthcare professionals administering the COVID-19 vaccine. What did you uncover there? Yeah, we did comment on the fact that um, the cost of administering vaccine was associated with who delivered the vaccine. So when doctors in a mass vaccination clinic delivered a vaccine, they were paid at a higher rate than nurses were paid. And then when there was contracts with private sector, the, the cost per vaccine was even higher. So we did have a recommendation in the report that for going forward, that thought be given to putting perhaps incorporating in you know, the strategy around pandemic uh, uh, planning that perhaps um, paying the same for the same service would be a thought or, you know, even looking to volunteerism when you're in a situation as a pandemic and it's all hands on deck. Your report also found some problems with the province's plan to build new highways in Ontario. I think the plan had eight new highways, um, but there were some issues in regards to which highways they were going forward with. Right. Like, I mean, government can choose what to do and where to build highways, and that's definitely their prerogative. We always look to, um, was the best information used in arriving at decision-making? And so what we found is that when we looked at the selection of the highways for Ontario, the prioritization that was given as advice um, was different than what the ultimate choices were. So, you know, Ministry of Transportation for years makes a choice in terms of where highways are built and at what point in time. So the sw- the highway order of construction was switched as a result of um, a government decision-making. I mean, they plan the, the highways that were chosen to be built ultimately um, will be built. Like there is a plan that says all of these highways are valid to be built at some point in time. It's just which ones are built when. Um, the advice of the engineering group and Ministry of Tri- uh, Transportation was different than the ultimate choices. There's so many highlights to your report, and we really can't get to them all, but it, does the report also come with recommendations on how to move forward on some of these issues? 100%. I mean, that is the objective of looking. I mean, there's there's a couple, make people aware of information, you know, put information out for decision-making and thought, you know, thought-provoking. But also the key is to provide recommendations to those in the ministries, those in the public sector, government, as to what to think about going forward and what to what to make better in terms of choices based on good information that will help achieve value for money uh, for the citizens of Ontario. I would imagine most of our listeners who are driving around right now must be thinking, Bonnie, what's your recommendation on lowering our rates? You know, we did have um, some recommendations in there for FISRA. The management team and the board are relatively new. There was a restructuring that took place, and so... It is on their radar to look at some of the areas that perhaps cost can be uh, reduced. Perhaps, you know, maintenance in garages where you take your car, you may go to one garage and be paying $500 for an insurable accident repair. You may go to another one that's 1000 And so there are opportunities like that where perhaps, um, you know, uh, being on top of that and maybe licensing a repair shops um, could be an option. I mean, the, there's, there's that as one consideration. The other is health care. Ontario is sort of a cash pay, so if you get injured, you get the cash maybe to get, um, you know, um, services for your health. Um, you could also, they could also switch to providing the services. So um, there are a couple options there. Lots to do, that's for sure. Bonnie, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us and enjoy your day.
Well, thank you very much for having me and, and you as well. Thank you very much. Bonnie Lissick is the Ontario Auditor General. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. With rising inflation affecting everything from food prices to mortgage rates, Canadians now have a new resource to turn to to get answers about their money. And it's a new program right here on 900 CHML launching this Sunday called For What It's Worth. And lo and behold, here is the host of For What It's Worth, Rabina ahmed a personal finance journalist who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Rabina, good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on your new radio show. Thank you very much. I'm so excited uh, to bring a show that's going to be accessible when it comes to money matters for everybody. My lens is on workplace, money, economics, personal finance, and whether you're a teenager or a grandma in your 80s, there's going to be something there for everyone. The timing is perfect because, as you know, the cost of living, anybody else listening right now, the cost of living has gone through the roof. What are some of the things that listeners can expect to hear each and every week on For What It's Worth? So the, the way that I see this show is I want to make it so that when you walk away, you feel like you've learned something about your money. So having guests on that inspire you to save better or save more money, um, having guests on that help you learn about the money that you already have and ways that you can manage it differently. So for example, this week we have a financial advisor on who's going to talk about how to manage your money in these volatile times because markets are very volatile right now and it can create a lot of anxiety no matter where you are in your investment journey. And we also have Matea Roach. She's the 23-streak Jeopardy winner who won more than $760,000 Canadian um, and how she's managing her money. And I found her story so inspiring because she really has been quite frugal. And so getting some inspiration from the way that she's managed what, you know, most people might go out and buy all these things, um, I think is really a good lesson for all of us that even if you come into a little bit of money, it's important to step back and take a breather and do the right thing with it. So it lasts for the long term, um, not just, you know, for a short uh, short jaunt into the Caribbean or, or a brand new car. What's your recommendation to Matea Roach on her newfound winnings? You know, I didn't have, you can listen to the interview this Sunday, but, you know, she was so well-spoken. Her mom works for the, worked for the CRA for 30 years, so she has this incredible resource. Uh, up to, to talk to you about what she should be doing from a tax efficiency uh, perspective. And it just was really inspiring to hear that as a young woman at 23, she hasn't spent very much of it. She's really just sitting on it thinking, you know, I'm going to take my time uh, to make my decisions about my money. And some really clever ways that she's using her money, she's not paying her debt down. And we'll explain why uh, on Sunday, why she's not uh, making that a priority, when normally you would think, well, pay that debt down and get it done. Uh, we'll explain why she's not doing that, and I think it's actually quite clever the way she's managed it. That should be a, a cool interview to hear, and you can hear it this Sunday at 5 on 900 CHML. The show is called For What It's Worth, and we're speaking with the host of this new show, Rabina Ahmed-Hawk, here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rabina is a personal finance journalist. If you were to look into your crystal ball at 2023, we know that inflation is where it is, and gas prices are where they are, and food prices don't seem to be coming down, and mortgage rates are uh, continuing to creep up with another Bank of Canada announcement due next week. Where are we headed? Is it, is it, are we barreling towards a recession or some kind of economic reset? Most economists are saying that a recession is all but certain in 2023. So the first two quarters of 2023, we'll see negative growth. Um, they're more, more than likely we'll see unemployment rise because when there's recessionary times, companies tend to lay people off. 
And unfortunately, it's going to affect the, the most vulnerable, the lowest income, those who have already seen their jobs uh, stop and start during the pandemic. Because in recessionary times, we spend less on things like restaurants and, and travel and hospitality, because that's where we cut back. And those are the jobs that are often, mi- often minimum wage jobs. And it just happens that in the pandemic, those are the industries that were uh, shut down for the longest time uh, because uh, we were trying to stay home and, and, and stop the spread of COVID-19. But, you know, looking forward, though, I really hope that when people listen to For What It's Worth, uh, that they find the information accessible. Often I listen to business news, even for me, who's covered business for so many years, it can feel really unaccessible. The terminology is not words that you'd use in your everyday life. And it just becomes a bit boring, to be honest, to, to listen to people who seem to have a lot of money and they're just talking about how to make more money. And I really <laughs> want this show to be about, you know, how the everyday Canadian can do best with the money that they already have. Not, you know, where can I invest that money so I can get my greatest returns? Uh, but really, what can I, how can I invest my money so I can have a comfortable retirement? So my kids can go to university and I can pay for part of that. That's the kind of conversations I want to have. I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of For What It's Worth. You can hear it every Sunday at 5 p.m. right here on 900 CHML. Rabina, thanks for joining us. Best of luck with the show. Thank you so much for having me. That is Rabina ahmed Hawk, personal finance journalist and host of the all-new For What It's Worth, Sundays at 5 on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, we're not quite seeing the wintry weather right yet. The, The weather outside isn't horrid yet. We know it's coming, but it is December. So what kind of winter action is on the horizon? Anthony Farnell is Chief Meteorologist with Global News and returns for another spell here on Good Morning Hamilton. Anthony, how are you? I am doing well, and I had to do a double take. You know, when you see December 1st, you're like, that's that snuck up on me. <laughs> <laughs> we know that, uh, and you were there, Buffalo got, uh, got hammered by old man winter a couple of weeks ago. Parts of southern Niagara really got uh, smacked with that as well. Northern Ontario has received its fair share of snow, but Hamilton, the Golden Horseshoe, most of southern Ontario has primarily been spared by old man winter. Uh, not that I'm complaining, but what's going on? Yeah, it's it's just been uh, partly by chance and also just the positioning of those places that got the heaviest snow this past month. Generally, there was a lake impact, even uh, on the eastern half of Toronto, 15 to 20 centimeters falling in November because of an east wind off Lake Ontario. So really, that was the deciding factor for the past month, officially at the airport in Hamilton, just under four centimeters. So you're off to the races, very slow start. But I think we're going to make up some ground here in December as we start to to make this switch to a much colder pattern. And a lot of this has to do with something called the Greenland block. It's a it's a big blocking high pressure up over the north that tends to displace cold Arctic air further south. And while initially it may not mean a lot of snow, uh, I do think the cold comes and then we start to turn stormy as, as we get closer to the holidays. Tomorrow, the high, I think, is like eight degrees, which is nuts for December the 2nd. Uh, this this snow and cold block is expected to come sometime next week or a little bit after that? Yeah, but believe it or not, which is kind of amazing. And, and one of the reasons why I, I love weather so much is the fact that it was so warm yesterday morning and this next system has all this mild air with it as well. If you look at the big picture across North America, these strong late November, early December lows make a beeline. They bring all that warm air with them up 
towards Greenland, and that's basically going to initiate this block. And then it takes two to three weeks to, to work itself out of the system, and that's the time that I think uh, it turns cold. So a colder-than-normal December is actually a pretty bold forecast. We, we haven't seen many of them since, uh, since well, the last decade and a half, so uh, that is something we're forecasting. Anthony Farnell is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Anthony is the chief meteorologist with Global News. We're talking about the, well, the the snowless, really, November that we've had in comparison to previous Novembers. I heard that La Nina is going to be back for a third winter in a row. Is that right? Yeah, and, and that really limits your, your data sets when, <laughs> when you're trying to to create a seasonal forecast, typically we look at, okay, we're, we're in a La Nina, so this is what is typical in Canada, um, four times out of five, and then you, you're, you're pretty confident. But when you have a, a three-peak or a three-year-in-a-row La Nina, uh, the data set is basically two other times that this has occurred since we started measuring this. So uh, you're, you're a little bit scared, you're wondering what's going to happen, but uh, it is a, a weakening La Nina, and I think we're going to be out of it by by the spring but but still it is something that is a rare occurrence and uh, i mean generally la nina winters or at least the last two years lead to higher than normal snowfall it doesn't always stick around for the entire winter but we do get frequent systems coming through the great lakes and whether they're alberta clippers or maybe colorado lows i think once again this year we're, we're going to have a, a slew of those for for at least part of the winter. So is an El Nino the opposite of a La Nina, less snow but colder weather? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, El Nino would be warmer weather, and it tends to to, to bring ice storms and, and the potential for even flooding rains. Uh, so El Nino is, is warm water in the equator region of the Pacific. La Nina, which is what we have now, is colder than normal water in that same area. So it affects the jet stream around the entire planet, but it affects it in different ways. And uh, La Nina, I would think, would be maybe the less severe as far as uh, extreme impacts around the planet. But still, uh, there are noticeable effects everywhere. Now, there's a lot of people who like to see a white Christmas, and I know we're more than three weeks away. What does the modeling show you at this point? Well, I, I mean, if, if you're looking for a white Christmas, I, I, I couldn't frame it any better. I know we're, we're, you want to see snow on the ground now, but generally when you're at December 1st and you have uh, 20 centimeters out your window, that's not going to be that way in 25 days. So don't worry too much. Tell your kids it's, it's going to be okay probably. Uh, I think this pattern heads cold. And then I mentioned stormy. There, There's rumors on the computer models for for storms around the 15th to about the 21st or 22nd and and, and that would be good that would set the stage and, and then I, I think uh, it's 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 looking stormy in, into the holidays which which would be good this year anthony farnell chief meteorologist global news thanks for the time and enjoy the day yeah, thanks. And I think we're going to get out of winter earlier. Uh, we've had some cold Aprils, Rick, so uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we, we get our snow for the holidays and then maybe come out of it uh, on the back end. So that that's, that's the plan. That's the best news of all. Thanks, Anthony. <laughs> thanks. Anthony Farnell, Chief Meteorologist at Global News. An early spring? Who needs Wyerton Woolley when you have Anthony Farnell? You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Do you have a an Amazon Alexa or a Google Home at your home? One of those voice assistant contraptions in which you say, "Hey Alexa, play me CHML news," or "Hey Google Home, what's what's the weather like outside? Should I grab a scarf? Do I need an umbrella?"
Should I bring my wellies? Well, questions are now being raised about the future of these in-home gadgets after we've learned that Amazon's Alexa division, which is a massive division, is expected to lose $10 billion this year. Huh? Carmi Levy is a technology analyst and journalist and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Carmi, welcome back to the show. How are you? Great to be here, Rick. I'm well. Thanks for having me. When was the last time you used your voice assistant? Oh, literally just before we went to air. <laughs> I, I, I have them uh, arrayed in my office. I have a row of them. Uh, and because I have to use for my work, I've got to use them all and I have to test them and, and, and whatever. So um, I am uh, addicted to them. I, I, I use them constantly. They are kind of an integral part of my workflow. Uh, and, of course, I use the electronic services. So, for example, Siri on my iPhone, um, Google Assistant on any Android phone that I happen to be using at that point in time. I use those as well on, on their respective platforms, telephones as well. So it's kind of this, you know, I, I don't even think about it. It's almost, it must be like what Captain Kirk would, did on Star Trek. <laughs> just kind of, he used the computer, and uh, and that was just a thing. And that's what it's become for me, and I know for tens, hundreds of millions of people around the world, voice-activated computing is just part of their day. It's uh, an incredibly popular thing to do. Uh, the problem here is it just doesn't make a whole lot of money for the companies that, introdu- that have introduced the technology. Is another issue as well that there was a report, I think it was done last year, that found about half of American Internet users, and I would, I would assume that the same, here, same percentage here in Canada applies, that at least half of them had at least one smart speaker. So can we assume that we have a saturated market? I think we do. I mean, pretty much everyone I know has one. You know, Business Insider released a report that showed that um, that I think in the U.S. something like uh, eighty-one and a half million people use Google Assistant. Just under eighty million use Siri, and just over seventy million use Alexa. So you add all that up, and that's pretty much anyone who would be buying technology has one of these somewhere. And even if they don't have the speaker, they've probably got a device somewhere. For example. I look around my office and just with Siri, uh, you know, my Mac, my iPad, and the HomePod speaker, they all have that service built into it too. So this is as universal now or almost as universal as the smartphone itself. Um, so you're pretty much, you're probably not going to sell all that much more. It's almost like Facebook. Everyone who's on it is already on it. Um, and you're not going to see double-digit growth go- going on anymore simply because it's pretty much saturated the market. Carmi Levy is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Carmi is a technology analyst and a journalist. We're talking about the voice assistant industry in which it is uh, taking a bit of a nosedive, at least in the financial department. Uh, you mentioned the term monetize. How will the or how can these companies monetize these in-home assistants? Are we going to start hearing ads when we're asking, let's say, Google for the weather? I think that's definitely a possibility, although so far that hasn't happened. I almost dread that it does, because anytime companies monetize something that had previously been kind of untouched by advertising, they kind of ruin the experience, you know, point to something like Instagram, which used to be, you know, just look at photos of people who you're interested in following. And now look at, you know, a few years ago, that's pretty much what your feed was, whereas today... Uh, 80, you know, 75, 80% of the content in my Instagram feed is stuff that I never wanted to see in the first place. It's all advertising, sponsored, commercial stuff, suggested uh, content. So I worry if the same logic begins to be applied to voice because voice-activated computing 
it's kind of hard to stick an ad in there without annoying people. Uh, and, the, and the problem here is, is we use voice computing very differently than we use other forms of computing. And we don't really understand how advertising can be inserted cleanly into it. Um, every, every company has a slightly different model. For example, Google, um, th- what they do is, is you know, Google has, uh, has a, 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 a already has a digital ad business uh, that is fairly lucrative. And so you can ask Google Assistant something, it'll give you an answer, and then it'll drop, for example, some commercial paid content into the Google Home app, and you can refer to it afterwards. So Google is some, somehow making money at the back end, not a lot. Uh, they're still losing money. They're still laying off people in that division. But they have figured out one way, somewhat unobtrusive way, to, to monetize it. Apple, same thing. There are no ads on Siri or on your HomePod speaker. Um, but Apple figures, well, it's another reason to buy an iPhone. It's another reason to buy Apple hardware. So they sort of make money on all the other stuff. It's almost like the glue that holds the Apple ecosystem together. Amazon's model, Jeff Bezos, this was his pet project, the former CEO and founder. And he figured, well, you know, if we use it to ask it about the weather or, you know, read us our schedule for the day, maybe we'll also order toilet paper. Maybe we'll also buy stuff from Amazon's e-commerce business. But we don't use voice-activated computing in the same way. I don't really want to buy stuff by barking an order at my speaker. I don't trust it enough. <laughs> I've got to see it on a screen. I've got to touch it on a touch screen. I've got to be able to validate it before I approve the expenditure. And so it never really went anywhere, and that's the problem. Amazon is losing upwards of $10 billion a year on this service. And unlike Google and Apple, they don't have other things to sell. They can't connect it to other businesses. And as a result, they're firing people from that division left, right, and center. Carmi, we'll have to leave it there as we're plumb out of time. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Great being here, Rick. Thank you. Carmi Levy, technology analyst and journalist, chiming in on the voice assistant industry. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, just when you thought... Things were returning to normal at Pearson International Airport in Toronto. Comes news of more chaos for air travelers just as the holiday travel season is beginning to ramp up. You, you've heard the stories earlier this year of utter chaos at Pearson because the air travel industry was ramping up again. More and more people were going to airports and flying around and the staffing shortages at Pearson and other airports around the world just could not um, make these travelers go to where they needed to go quick enough. Well, lo and behold, same thing happened last week at Pearson. So is this the start of something that we don't want to see again? Barry Choi is a money and travel expert who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Barry, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me. So what happened at Pearson last week? <laughs> so according to online reports, uh, there was... A couple of hours where passengers arriving in Pearson were waiting literally hours for their luggage. Uh, as you mentioned, this was very concerning due to the fact that, uh, you know, was this a return to what we saw in the summer? And everyone's a bit worried about that, especially with the holiday travel season coming on. Uh, but after doing a little bit of research and seeing what the airports responded with, it sounds like it was just a one bad day. You know, a lot of people called in sick. You know, we've all had that at work before and just caused many, many delays. You, you know, the reason I say I think this is just one day, because if, if it was a longer delay for over a week, everyone would be complaining. We'd be seeing it all over social media. But it seems to be a, just a one day incident. 
For those who are planning a trip over the holidays, do you recommend they book a departure in the morning, in the afternoon, or at night? What part of the day is going to be the least kind of chaos? You know, it's a bit tricky because it's basically still a, a bit of a gamble when you think about it. Because you never know how many people are going to be traveling on any given day, which route, where you're going to. But I will say this. You know, I would avoid any morning flight, especially if you're going to the U.S. The simple reality is, is most of the flights take off. Uh, around 6 to 8 a.m., roughly speaking, because the airlines need to get their flights out and they return them back to Toronto so then they can fly in them internationally or, or wherever else, right? So if you're flying to the U.S., you're also dealing with U.S. customs, so you're dealing with longer lines. But if you're flying, say, domestically or internationally, and, and say you're not checking the bag, uh, you know, I would say, say, mid-afternoon, around noon, perfect timing if the flights line up. Even in the evening, it's no, not so bad. It's just those morning flights to the U.S. that can still be troublesome. That said, you know, uh, Pearson has made some improvements. They've now included a new app called YYZ Express, which allows you to book a time and security in advance. So you don't need to wait in those long lines. And on top of this, U.S. Border Control has a, a mobile bas- passport control app, which allows you to do the same, same thing. You basically put in your information in advance. When you get into U.S. Customs, you're put in a separate line so you can speed through the process quite quickly. Talking about the holiday travel season coming up with Barry Choi, money and travel experts. You can get more information online at moneywehave.com. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. What are airlines doing to get us back onto planes? You know, this is really, really interesting because, you know, obviously airlines have struggled over the last few years due to the pandemic. But at the same time, it's really an opportunity for them to see what consumers are looking for. Uh, So obviously, Air Canada is number one airline in Canada, and they've made some massive improvements. If you're flying internationally on Air Canada, departing from Canada, uh, celebrity chef Jerome Ferrer has created a hot new casserole dish. In addition, you now get an extra regional-inspired appetizer, such as soba noodles, chat, and hummus. Now, this is relevant because basically they're giving you more food and better food for the same price. Also, when flying within North America, which includes some destinations, uh, the full Air Canada Bistro menu is back with more fresh and healthy options. Again, during the pandemic, they took away some items. So it's really nice to see things coming back. And one thing that I'm actually really interested in, uh, I don't know if this is a first for air- airlines, but definitely a first in Canada. When you're flying within Canada, live TV is now available for sports and news. Uh, stations, six channels, so you can watch some live sports or catch up on breaking news. Uh, to me, this is very exciting as someone who travels frequently because now there's more food options, more entertainment options. Uh, so it's just one thing that I can look forward to because, you know, sometimes flights aren't the most comfortable. Got about 45 seconds. Where are people going? Where, where are the hot spots? Where are the hot destinations? You know, I think there's quite a few few hot spots. Orlando is really popular. Uh, you know, the theme parks, a lot of families couldn't take, take their kids over the last couple of years to look and go back. I also think budget list destinations such as Dubai, people aren't afraid to spend coming out of the pandemic. And finally, I would say one popular destination is Belize because there's a nice mix between equal adventure and sun and relaxation. More details online at moneywehave.com. Barry, thanks for the time today. No problem. Anytime. Barry Choi is a travel and money expert. Again, his website, moneywehave.com. Some pretty uh, interesting stuff on that website. If you're planning a holiday trip, Good luck, and as they say, pack some patience. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.